Spring is in the air at Global Voice Broadcasting. Fresh new shows are hitting the airwaves every day. Shows about all the things that matter to you in your life. Music, fashion, celebs, and more. It's all here, and it's getting better every day. Only at Global Voice Broadcasting. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. A vagina is not a refrigerator or a VW bug, and frankly, we're tired of you asking us to store your torque wrench in there. Besides, this space is occupied right now. I'm marinating a pot roast and a pulley. (laughs) I may need that on a t-shirt or a pillow or something. Any guesses what pulley was talking about? I drew it from an article that she wrote called 10 Things Porn Gets Terribly Wrong About Women and Sex. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so stoked to be covering a super important topic today, porn-related myths and dysfunction, with one of my favorite experts you will probably recognize, Gabe Deem. Before I bring him in, though, here are just a few of the myths that mainstream porn present about women from that awesome article that uh, Anna Pulley wrote. The first one. Women having no pubic hair ever. There are some exceptions, of course. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit. But for the most part, mainstream porn shows women with totally smooth, hairless pussies. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, poor, cold little kitties. Actually, it's, if that's your preference, you know, it's totally cool. Um, I personally found waxing way too painful. I went to this place called something like pain-free waxing. <laughs> That's not possible. Um, and as she was starting, she was like, so did you take your ibuprofen? And I thought, well, if it's pain-free, then why? And then suddenly rip and ow, and I will spare you the rest of the details. Uh, some pubic hair feels more natural to me and to a lot of women. What's sad is when some people are grossed out now by pubic hair. That's not cool, and it's because they very seldom see it. Number two, lesbians constantly scissoring. This one comes directly from Polly's article because I actually wasn't aware of this, all right? So scissoring doesn't sound totally comfortable anyway, but it's where two women rub their vaginas together. And in mainstream porn, it usually involves women uh, lying with their heads at opposite sides of the bed and their feet in others' faces, according to Polly. Uh, she said that doesn't make sense physically or visually. Actual pleasurable scissoring involves lots of flexibility and sense of humor, she added, and it's also a lot less common than you would think by watching porn. The third one, her article states that women's orgasms aren't emphasized in mainstream porn, like almost at all. The focus is on guys getting off, though you are likely to see lots of giggling and squirting, she says. So you see some of the pleasure and you see some of the, uh, we've talked about squirting that, you know, it's kind of considered this like thing that every woman does, uh, but that's actually not true. And she also said that racial diversity is still lacking. Make sure you check out my chats with Flash Brown and Layton Benton for more on that. Both of them are individuals of color in the adult industry and had a lot to say about that. I thought it was really interesting. Um, and also, she, uh, Pulley said that porn is writhed with women having odd 
objects being inserted into their vaginas, such as hairbrushes and lint rollers. Ow! Remember that quote from the beginning? Yeah, that wasn't some like scary cooking technique. Unless I, I don't know. Maybe some people really do like putting food in there, and I, I don't know. I won't judge you for that, certainly, of course. Uh, but, but if you're watching porn and there's a, a lint roller involved, I don't know. I just, I just don't really see watching that or doing that as being like a really fun, super cool thing. Uh, I glanced at some of the comments on that article, which appeared on Alternet. And there were some from some guys saying, well, duh, porn isn't supposed to be taken seriously. It's for entertainment. Basically, just, you know, you should chill out. But you know what? Folks learn a lot more from porn about sex than anywhere else today. I mean, anywhere. And if that's all you know about sex, then why wouldn't you take it as true? You might take it as exaggerated, but I've heard from so many women, girlfriends and uh, listeners, readers who write into me and say, you know, my, my boyfriend, my partner is really, you know, forceful with me or just assumed that I wanted lots of anal. I don't like anal, all that stuff. And a lot of those ideas come from porn. So even if it's not as extreme, it's really important to know those differences. Those commenters are also missing this really important reality that anything that demeans women or minorities or anybody and chalks it off as entertainment gets into people's psyches on some level. And that is really the scariest kind of discrimination because it's all about ignorance, you know? Another myth is that women who work in porn must meet, must be stupid or dumb. Now, this is just my own uh, commentary here, not from Pulley's article. But as you know from, hopefully, from listening along here, many women in the adult industry are intelligent, compassionate. They find the work that they do empowering. That's why they sought it out. Uh, many are out there actively working to change the damaging stereotypes about women in the industry. I have so much love for you all. Make sure you uh, check out those interviews if you're uh, perplexed by that, because I've certainly learned a lot from these women. The last myth I want to address before I bring Gabe Demon is this. Porn addiction only affects males. That is so not true. I've heard from a number of women who grapple with porn dependency, as you may know from earlier episodes. Here's a clip from my interview with Erica Garza. She's a Los Angeles-based writer whose brave and super poignant article, it's called Tales of a Female Sex Addict, appeared in Salon Magazine, uh, I believe last year. She joined me at the end of 2014. Uh, you wrote that your compulsion started when you were 12 years old. Could you tell us kind of how that began? Right. Well, the compulsion started at 12, but I have definitely been interested in sex way before that. I remember being about eight or nine, and I was just constantly interested in sex, even before I really knew what sex was, like how it worked exactly. I was always staring at men's crotches and women's breasts and um, rubbing my Barbies together at home. I was just constantly turned on. It wasn't until I was 12 that I started masturbating and had this outlet for all of that built-up sexual frustration. Um and, I mean, I'm not saying I had an addiction right away, but I definitely was fascinated. And I was just a hormonal, horny, normal girl. Um, but I wish I knew that. I mean, I, the fact that I didn't know that kind of turned it into an addiction for me. Um, I felt a lot of shame tied up in that. And I think because of two reasons. My parents were very young when they had us, me and my brother, and so they didn't really give us any kind of sex talk. I didn't have any kind of point of reference to turn to. 
And I figured they thought I would just learn at school, but I was raised in a very Catholic uh, school. And it's kind of cliche, but it's valid, too, that we're kind of repressed in Catholicism, and everybody kind of knows that. So I learned early on that sex was something that happened between a man and a woman who are married, not a girl in her hand, and that masturbation, aside from being a sin, is um, something meant for boys. And so it became very charged with this kind of shame. Um, and so I started turning to, besides fantasy, that's how it started, which is fantasy, I started turning to um, softcore porn on Cinemax, and Shannon Tweed was my hero at night. And then um, the internet came about, and it kind of started with just downloading pictures, and that took like an hour because I had dial-up. Uh, dial and then um, streaming started coming into play, and I started looking at, you know, porn sites, and there was cyber sex, and it just kind of progressed from there. So fascinating, right? I just am so grateful for people like Erica and for Gabe Deem who speak up about these issues and really, I think, make a difference. To listen to the rest of our chat, you can find that episode on iTunes. Um, it's also on my website now, um, augustmclaughlin.com. Porn addiction is super scary and under-addressed stuff. A recent study published in the journal Sexual Medicine makes the claim that the more porn men watch, the healthier and more revved up their sex drive and function will be within their relationship. Uh, the study headed by Nicole Prouse, a research scientist at UCLA, has been making headlines. The study involved uh, data collected from 280 mostly young males. Just under half of these guys were in uh, monogamous relationships. And participants then reported how much porn they'd watched. I guess that ended up being about, well, between zero and 25 hours, I think. I'm not sure was that within a week, within a month, but within the study. Their sex drives and function. Uh, they also watched, quote, vanilla porn films in a lab and reported their arousal level. One of the issues that I have with any kind of sexuality study that's based on self-report is the fact that it, it just isn't really that reliable. Um, guys tend to round their arousal and sexual function up. Um, there's actual research, several studies larger than this one that show that, uh, while women tend to round it down, you know, because there's this cultural pressure for guys to be like, of course, I'm functioning really well, whereas a woman will kind of shy away more from it. Uh, and I'm so glad that Gabe Deem, our resident expert on porn-related dysfunction, uh, contacted me about this study because he has some wonderful thoughts on it. He did a great analysis on his website. Um, Gabe is a counselor in Irving, Texas, and a recovering porn addict himself who's researched the topic extensively. He's also a personal trainer and public speaker with a fantastic YouTube channel, which we're going to talk a little bit about one of his episodes coming up here. Um, he also has a fabulous support site, the, Re the Reboot Nation, where he shares his story, and there's all kinds of resources um, and message boards and stuff, tips, help for people who are having these kinds of dysfunctions. Thank you so much for joining me, Gabe. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, August? I'm well, thanks. And I, like I said, I'm just so happy to, to have your expertise. Why... Do you see the study as problematic? I know you listed many reasons on your um, analysis on your site, but what are kind of the biggest issues? Right. Well, well, first off, let me make something clear that this wasn't a new study that tested anything specifically about the possibility of porn-induced ED or porn leading to erectile dysfunction. It was a paper that picked parts of four earlier studies none of which were specifically about ED, and none of them reported correlations between hours of porn use and erectile function. The older studies also didn't ask, you know, really important questions like years of use, you know, how, how long the guy's been using porn, 
the age that they started, which is very important, especially if you're a, a child or a teenager during your developmental years. Percentage of masturbation sessions with porn to without porn um, and compare that to sexual experience. It didn't ask about escalation to more extreme genres, which we see all the time. Um, how many clips and applications were used? Uh, for instance, like tabs open. A lot of guys that use internet porn will have four or five tabs open, you know, with extreme novelty, and that's been shown in research to uh, be the primary, you know, one of the primary indicators of problems is novelty. So none of these questions were asked, but the, the biggest red flag for me is that they didn't even ask a question that is essential to test their own hypothesis about porn-induced ED. The study stated, uh, word for word, it is conceivable that experiencing the majority of sexual arousal within the context of porn use may result in a diminished erectile response during partnered sexual interactions. But no subjects in any of the underlying studies were asked a question <laughs> remotely close to, you know, percentage of lifelong sexual arousal coming from porn compared uh -huh. to, you know, real-life partner, partnered sex. So they didn't even ask a question that would, that would have tested their own hypothesis. So that was weird to me. And, um, you know, as far as we know, these guys could have recently started using porn. Um, the average age was 23, but they could have just started, you know, when they got to college, or they could have been using since they were really young and had recently stopped. We don't know their history of porn use, so, you know, we can't draw any important conclusions. And, you know, but the claims the authors made about this paper were what was more concerning to me personally. Interesting. Such excellent points. And, you know, a lot of people out there who haven't read studies, everything you're mentioning is so important as far as, you know, really qualifying the research, because the way it sounds, at least, is that the authors, for whatever reason, sort of had, I, I know you can't speak for them, but kind of had a, a motive almost, that's maybe a strong word, but they wanted to almost dis take some data and make it seem as though sexual dysfunction related to porn use is not a thing. And w another reason I wondered about that was because I know Prowse has also um, spoken up about, I believe it was another study, or you, I'm sure know about, more about this, but in the past has spoken about sexual addiction not being a, a valid thing. Do you have any insight as far as why people would, is this something that you run across in this in this topic, are people trying to disprove something that is so evidently and, you know, obviously a problem? Well, uh, the term you're looking for was biased, biased researchers. And, um, you know, I'm not going to make any public claims that I know for sure, but it would appear that the reason this study was, or paper was written, um, it wasn't a study, it was a paper about four older studies. But the reason I think that this was done was because, you know, she just wanted to simply disprove porn-induced ED. And the reason I say that is because um, her her Twitter slogan used to say, you know, studying sexuality without invoking um, addiction nonsense. And then she changed her uh, slogan on Twitter. Now it says professional debunker. So I think it would be safe to say that she might be a little biased in what she reports. Wow. Um, but... You know, that's really all I have to say to that. I can't, I can't say, you know, why people do what they do, but it's clear that, you know, the claims that they got from this uh, paper, you know, it's, it's kind of all over the place and doesn't really match with the, the substance of the data. Sure. And we could get into that if you wanted to. Yeah, what's interesting about that and, and scary, as you know, is that people take, our culture is so headline obsessed, so you read the whole thing very thoughtfully and analyzed it from an expert standpoint. 
Other people are just reading a headline that says scientists debunks, you know, such and such. And so that that is, you know, the scary part. So what what can you say about that as far as when people, you know, I imagine somebody's struggling with porn related dysfunction, that must be a really hard thing to hear, you know. Um, what should people know when they when they hear these kinds of stats? Well, they they need to know that the claims don't match the data that was presented. Um, you know, I could give you a few main points. You know, first off that pops into my head is that we're told in the paper that the subjects had relatively good erectile functioning. That's what they reported. However, if you look at the study, they, they reported a mean score, an average score of 21.4, which indicates if you look up the scale, if you do the research and look up the scale, it puts the subjects in the mild erectile dysfunction category. So the subjects had the subjects actually did have mild ED and were were given no explanation for this and it was just ignored. And then um, the other point would be that the study claims that all the underlying studies that they gathered the data from used all films, but that's not true. One of the studies, um, the only one that reported erection scores, actually had the subjects look at pictures. And it's well established that pictures are more arousing and exciting than video clips. Um, you know, they had, they had two studies that used a three-minute video clip, one study used a 20-second video clip, and one study used pictures. This alone would make drawing correlations impossible because it's well established, you know, that videos are more arousing than pictures. And with different studies using different stimuli asking different questions, you can't really claim a, correl a correlation especially when they're claiming better erectile response. When erections were actually not measured in the lab, the researchers only asked a single question about arousal, which um, if you just ask about arousal, it, it could show sensitization, which is a brain change that produces um, cravings and desire to use. So, the, you know, they reported a slightly higher response from the subjects um, that, re that watched more porn but that could actually be evidence of addiction-related brain changes. Ah, that's fascinating. I had no idea that there was research showing that pictures are more stimulating. Do you know why that is? Um, I would I would assume it's because you're not using your imagination. Um, you don't have to conjure up images. You're being shown them. So I really don't know. Um, I could dig up the study and send it to you after the interview. Yeah, um, I'd but love yeah, to. But yeah, it's been it. looked at, and it's shown that videos are more exciting. Interesting, interesting. Wow. So there's so much to to talk about with all of this, and it's it's all so fascinating. Um, and I know that there are a lot of other myths uh, that you've talked about with porn addiction and uh, related dysfunction. And you have this great YouTube video on your on your network there uh, that um, shares a, a bunch of them. I believe it's five different myths, which we're all great to, to learn about, and I think we hear them pretty commonly. Could you tell us a little bit about this one? Porn addicts have higher than average sex drives or hypersexuality disorder, because I've heard this one a lot. Yeah, so you'll, you'll constantly hear that, um, first of all, they'll muddy the water and they'll, they'll, they'll label porn addicts as sex addicts. And one of the main problems with that would just be common sense, that a lot of these porn addicts have never had sex, or... If you if you take porn-induced ED, for example, um, a lot of guys that claim they're porn addicts can't have sex because they have erectile dysfunction. So in the in the video, you know, I say, how can you be addicted to something that you've never done or you can't do? Uh -huh. um, but to answer your question about uh, high sex drives, well, 
a lot of guys, including myself, um, you know, we never masturbated or watched porn more than once or twice a day through our teenage years. And there's other guys that, um, let's say, have higher sex drives that do it three, four, or five times. But, you know, me personally, I only did it once or twice. And when we give up porn, we go through a flat line, is what we call it, where we literally feel like, you know, we're asexual, we feel like a zombie, and we have zero sex drive. We don't desire to uh, have sex with real partners. Um, we might mentally want it, but physiologically, you know, there's no response. We literally feel cold and numb, and even um, some guys report their penises shrinking up and changing color, and it's just really weird what, what um, porn addicts say they go through. And that's clearly not a high sex drive because um, we can't have sex. And if we try to uh, if we try to masturbate without porn, we're unable to get an erection. But if we watch porn, we can get an erection again. So that really shows you that it's more about sexual conditioning, you know, con- conditioning yourself to be turned on by porn rather than a real person. And it's not just high sex drive. Interesting. And I imagine a lot of those symptoms that you mentioned, uh, you know, have feeling kind of no sex drive at all, having your penis shrink up. If you went to the doctor and displayed those symptoms, you know, I imagine they might diagnose you with all kinds of things. But I don't do, do doctors know to, to ask about porn use? Um, increasingly, you know, there's more and more doctors that or urologists, I should say, that are asking the good questions. Um, Here's the problem. There's a there's a generation gap. Um, you know, if you're in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, when you hear the term masturbation, you don't automatically assume these young guys are watching porn. But my generation, um, I'm 27 now, and the guys that are younger than me, we, you know, porn and masturbation go hand in hand, literally. Yeah. And so we don't differentiate between, you know, when we hear masturbation, we immediately think you you also assume that we're watching porn. Ah. So when the doctors ask these young guys, well, can you masturbate? The guys say, well, of course I can masturbate. But what the doctor doesn't ask is if they're using porn, because a lot of these guys with porn-induced ED can't masturbate without porn. So they're missing the big problem. They're They're assuming that it's performance anxiety because these young guys can masturbate, which means that they don't have an organic problem. But they're missing the fact that they only can masturbate with porn. They can't get an erection without their uh, without porn on. So it can't be performance anxiety, as I pointed out in the video. Um, you know, it can't be performance anxiety because no guy is nervous sitting at home all alone with his own hand. He doesn't care about sexually satisfying his hand or what his hand. Is about <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is that's so interesting. I, I that hadn't occurred to me at all. That because I'm in my 30s and I, when I think about if somebody just asks me a question or brings up masturbation, I, that is not the first thing that I I don't assume that's associated <laughs> with. So that's a relationship with you. Please, in your hand, that that made me laugh. The the imagery there. Uh, so I wanted to share a quote from there was an LA Times article about Prouse's study that actually relates to one of the myths that you explore. Uh, she said. While many people think easy access to porn leads to problems in the bedroom, our study suggests the opposite. The erectile dysfunction is most likely caused by the same issues that have been known for some time, such as performance anxiety, poor cardiovascular health, or side effects from substance abuse. Uh, You brought up the point that it's a myth that other factors are, so basically the opposite. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so all those um, all those suggestions, performance anxiety, cardiovascular health, uh, substance abuse, all that are shot out by the porn-induced ED test where, you know, you have a young guy that has unexplained ED. Many of us, including myself, went to the doctor and got checked out. 
Um, I had perfect testosterone levels. My body fat was under 10%. I'm in, you know, really good physical shape. Um, and I could get an erection with porn on, but I couldn't masturbate without porn. So it wasn't performance anxiety. It wasn't um, some other organic problem because my uh, my penis were just fine with porn. <laughs> yeah. So all those are shot out. And, you know, I haven't seen any um, researcher or any naysayer address this porn-induced ED test, the fact that it's not performance anxiety. Um, I have a feeling it's because they can't refute it. Um, but, yeah, so that would be my answer to that is, we see thousands of young guys on the forums that have never abused drugs. I, myself included, never abused drugs. Um, I was in good shape. A lot of these guys are under 10% body fat. I mean, they're teenagers, for goodness sakes. Mm -hmm. And obesity and stuff like that takes years and years, especially if you're talking tobacco or alcohol. It takes years and years of, you know, chronic use for those to cause ED. And we're talking about 16, 17. Um, just recently, this last week, I have a 14-year-old on my site who has to have porn to um, get a boner. He can't put on a, a condom to have sex with his girlfriend. He's 14. Wow. And so those, those suggestions do not explain what we're seeing. Wow. Um, so that would be my response. Interesting. Wow. And it's, it's so sad that uh, younger and younger, I'm hearing, uh, people are not only people, kids, children are, are watching porn from, I've heard that, I can't remember the exact statistic, but most have seen it by like age eight or nine or, or what have you. Do you hear from a, um, a huge range of ages or is it primarily uh, like the teens and twenties? Well, it, it's primarily teens and twenties now because those are the, you know, the higher percentage of guys online. I think if you were just to look at it on the surface, um, I've seen as young as 13-year-olds posting on um, sites like mine or uh, yourbrainrebalance.com. Um, so we've seen tons of really young people. The majority, the biggest percentage is around 20 to 25. Um, but it's clear um, that it's all ages. You know, when I first found out about this, I was, you know, doing an epic Google search for my problem, and I found a MedHelp thread where uh, this was back in 2011, and, you know, I was skeptical at first. Like, I saw that porn might cause it, and I said, yeah, right. But, mm -hmm. you know, the more I kept reading, all these guys, you know, from age 70 to 15 were all reporting the same thing, that after years of Internet porn use, they could no longer become aroused with their partner, who they found attractive, which is another important point to throw in there. It has nothing to do with the partner's attraction. So I saw that... Um, you know, this was affecting all different kinds of guys from all different kinds of backgrounds, um, atheists to religious people. It wasn't a moral thing. And I was like, okay, well, um, let's try this test. And I tried to masturbate without porn. I realized I couldn't. And that's when I finally was like, okay, this is the real deal. This is legit. But it's affecting all ages. And some of the uh, recent studies into erectile dysfunction have shown that, you know, a 600% to like 2,000% increase of young guys with ED. Um, in the last couple of years, about four or five studies have showed around 30% of young guys have ED. And if you compare that to the only meta-analysis, you know, ED survey back in 1992, it only found that 5% of young guys, um, not even young guys, from 16-year-olds to 59, only 5% had ED. And now we're seeing 30%. Wow. So I don't, I really can't understand what else would make that ED rate jump so high. Um, I don't know any other variable that's changed. But sure. Yeah. Even just something interesting. Definitely. Even from, and I know that that's your own research, the data that you've seen, you know, seems like a, 
a more solid, uh, you know, experience level or body of evidence, I guess you could say, um, than some of these smaller studies that kind of, like you said, pull data from other. It's always hard when you pull sexuality data from the past anyway, because our attitudes about sexuality change, everything changes. And it's it's really important right. to, you know, to have current. Is Can you think of it? I mean, is there a a really effective way to to study these issues? Or I know when I last talked to you, I don't think there were any big studies yet. Well, on that same note, real quick before I forget, uh, there ha last year there was a study from Cambridge, um, Cambridge University, uh, that did ask about years of use. Um, it found, or actually I'm getting two studies mixed up, but the Cambridge study that had heavy porn users or porn addicts in the study, which um, this current study we're talking about excluded, it didn't include porn addicts, which is a huge problem because most porn addicts are the guys that say they have ED with partners. But the Cambridge one did include porn addicts, um, or hypersexuals is the term. Um, they found that 60% of the subjects had ED with partners but not with porn. So that would be the only study that asked, you know, the relevant question. Um, but other than that, there hasn't been. As far as studying it, uh, one of the things that I suggest is taking – um, and you'll see it. I've, I've heard about some studies in the works where urologists will take young guys that are healthy. They, you know, they rule all other organic problems out and um, who can't masturbate without porn but can get an erection with porn. Have those guys stop using porn and just, you know, track their progress over several months to up to a year or two. And if um, what we've seen on the forums is true, those uh, the urologists will also see that, those uh, subjects' conditions will remit and go away, and they'll be cured by only removing porn use. So that's, you know, that's the study I want to see done. It'll be correlational, or it'll be causational because it'll be um, over a time period. It won't just be, uh, you know, just a survey. So. For sure, absolutely. And that brings up another myth that that you share that's really common. And I'm one thing I love about your story and your work is that that is such a silver lining to know that it is manageable and can be cured. So the myth that our sexual taste can't change, can you expand a little bit about that, that you can actually regain sexual function? Is that universal or is that just some of the people? Well, from what I've seen, um, it's starting to take younger guys, and this is the sad part, it's start, starting to take younger guys a lot longer. Um, it took me nine months to regain, nine months without porn use to regain um, the ability to have sex. But we've seen some guys now take a little over a year and one guy up to two years. But what we have seen is everyone's been able to recover, the guys that have reported back. Um, but, yeah, I mean, from my personal story, I, I escalated into some things that I considered, you know, at one time repulsive, very um, abusive and misogynistic type stuff, you know, stuff that I at once didn't desire, but I kind of escalated into for the shock factor and to keep that uh, high if you will. Um, but, you know, after I quit watching porn, after several months, those the desire to watch that stuff faded and the desire to do that with my real-life partners faded. Um, and we've seen that from thousands and thousands of guys that um, were very concerned about the stuff that they were getting off to. And, again, this isn't a moral thing. These guys, you know, the majority of these guys on these forums are atheists or agnostic, and they report that they didn't have any shame around their porn use but they just escalated into stuff that they once considered disgusting, to put it real simply. And when they quit watching porn, they no longer des desire that stuff. So it's clear that there's some sexual conditioning going on and um, escalation of tastes. And, it's, and if, you know, if you think about the adolescent brain, and that's what always gets ignored, 
the adolescent brain is more moldable, it's more vulnerable, and it's ready to wire up to anything and everything that it experiences for survival and so it can, you know, experience pleasure. And if you have 10, 11, 12-year-olds watching um, porn on these uh, tube sites with, you know, a buffet of things to click on, well, we already know teens automatically will just click on stuff that shocks them anyway. So their first sexual experiences are to this shocking, um, abusive uh, type porn. And even if it's not that genre, because it doesn't really matter what the genre is, they're still wiring their sexuality to pixels, um, to Internet porn, as children. So that's having a profound effect on them that magazines or something in the past wouldn't have had. Interesting. You brought up... Uh the screen and the pixels, that made me think of another point uh, in that L.A. Times article. Prowse talked about, she actually called it watching erotica, not watching porn, even though the study said porn, so it kind of lumping them together. Uh, do you happen to know if, I mean, is it pretty much if you're watching the screen while you're masturbating, then that is what can, can cause these problems? Or is it the more severe, like if it's hardcore versus erotica, does that make a difference? Well, it's if, if you're talking about sexual conditioning, that can be anything, um, anything in your environment, um, you know, even the position that you're sitting in, what you're doing, uh, any cues related to your experience. Um, you know, some research has suggested that rats were conditioned to be turned on by cadaverine, which was actually the smell of rotting flesh. Um, they were they sprayed, you know, female rats with cadaverine and had young virgin male rats mate with them. And then after they did that, those those rats that mated with the stink nasty females <laughs> were aroused um, by that smell. And uh. they even chewed and played on toys that were sprayed with rotting flesh smell. When normal rats who weren't conditioned would bury those toys or they would, you know, hide in the corner from them. Wow. So um, I, I wouldn't say it's just necessarily the genre or what how hardcore something is, but it's just the experience and, the you know, the consistency of, repeating, you know, masturbating the porn over and over and over again all through your formative years to when you do get with a real-life flesh-and-blood partner, your body or your brain's reward circuit, more specifically, doesn't recognize that as rewarding or arousing. It's like it's like getting Pavlov's dog to salivate to something other than the bell, if that makes sense. It totally does. It totally does. And that's why even foods, like, can be really, really uh, a big turn on foods that don't necessarily smell good if you associate it, you know, with something sexual that happened to you. You know, it's it's amazing and it's beautiful, I think, that we actually have a choice what right. we let turn ourselves on. You know, we don't have to let, um, you know, what we see on online or, or whatever. We can choose, which is great. It means we can choose our partners. We can choose, you know, healthy, healthy things. So if somebody... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if somebody's listening and they're thinking this, you know sounds a lot like me, I'm struggling with this, or my partner's struggling with this, what's the first step? Where, where can they get help? Well, the first step would be to get educated, in my opinion. That's what helped me the most. And um, you could start with yourbrainonporn.com. Um, all, you know, uh, related science and all the important information you need to know is on there, including some of uh, the YouTube videos that I've made and some articles that I've written for Huffington Post and um, related type stuff. So the information would be there. If you want help, support, um, motivation, encouragement, 
and other informational videos and stuff, you can come to RebootNation.org, which is my site. And um, there's a support community there that's completely free. You can make an anonymous account. And we also have a section for women who are recovering, and we also have a section for partners, whether male or female, of um, someone who is addicted or struggling with a um, porn-induced sexual dysfunction, because this also happens to women, too. It's not just a guy thing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I always know that... I can rely on you for for the really solid uh, information, and I just really appreciate your insight. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy coming on. Isn't he fabulous? Uh, make sure you do check out that website. Whether Even if you don't have an issue uh, personally with porn addiction, I think it's really important to be aware of these issues. Uh, if you are a parent, if uh, you have friends, like I said, I've had girlfriends tell me about issues they were having uh, in their sexual relationship with a partner uh, where you know, certain things their partner was doing to them seemed really obscure. And I was like, oh, I've, I've heard that happens all the time in porn. Do you know if they watch porn? And a lot of times the answer is, well, no, I don't know if they watch porn. So having those conversations is important. But check out Gabe's website, RebootNation.org. I also suggest following him on Twitter at Gabe Deem. That's Gabe, D-E-E-M. And I hope you also connect with me and the whole Girl Boner community online. You can find us by heading over to my website, augustmclaughlin.com. We're on Facebook, on Twitter. I do lots of blog posts about Girl Boner-related issues. Uh, my most recent is a letter to the President of France about the laws that are out there to try to help manage this anorexia epidemic uh, in the fashion industry, which you probably know I'm, I'm really passionate about. So I hope you'll check that out. I also hope you'll nab some tickets if you're in the L.A. area to the Artemis Film Festival. You may remember my fabulous interview with Melanie Wise. She's brilliant. Her last name really suits her. Uh, April 24th to the 26th. It's going to take place at Lemley's Theater here uh, in Pasadena. And there are discount tickets available right now. I am going to be emceeing the uh, red carpet uh, ceremony, giving away some awards and announcing some folks on uh, that Friday, the 24th, which I'm really, really excited about. Head over to ArtemisFilmFestival.com for details. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me next time and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>